Let's pray, and we'll look at Romans 12. We're going to continue where we left off, verse 14, verse 17, this morning. Father, we thank you that you've given us your son. And because we have the son, we have life. And those who don't embrace the son don't have it yet, but that's your heart. So we're here to listen and hear from you. Jesus, thank you that you left us with yourself, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, so that we can have real power to love people in the same way that you did. And you give us the wisdom and the discernment that we need on when to speak and when to listen, when to act and when to stop. You give us insight in what you're doing in your world. And so thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we have everything that we need for life and to live like you, the way you intended. And so we're off. We've messed up this week. We confess it. We get it out of the way. We need grace. We need your mercy. We need your kindness. We need forgiveness. We need fresh power. We need a word from you. And so we've come to hear and to encounter you, Lord. And so uh, please do what, what I can't do. What we can't do is show us yourself, and that will be enough in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, how many of you got a chance to roll in the snow this morning? You're half inch, right? You got, you know, some of you went out there like, oh, I'm rolling, especially my California people. I know you're out there. You were out there because it's stellar. It's amazing. It's called Mount Hood. You can see it all, all the time. But, but it came to your house. So it was, uh, it was actually really timely because uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan of this Winter Olympic thing. How many of you watched the Winter Olympics this week? I know. It's, I'm not a winter sports person. I've never skied, snowboarded. That's, I'm Puerto Rican. We, we tan. <laughs> we, don't do, we don't do those things. But, uh, but it's, it is interesting to, to watch the games unfold. I'm, I, I added it to my bucket list. I am going to start, because there isn't one, uh, the Puerto Rican curling team. <laughs> you know, brush, brush, brush. You didn't? Anyway. Puerto Rico does have its own athlete that they send to the games. <laughs> athlete. And they never win, but maybe things could turn. <laughs> It is a joy to see the games. What's interesting about this one, though, is the story behind the story. And we all, if you've been watching the commentary, you've been hearing the story behind the story. And that's uh, these games that bring all over, like, the whole world to see pristine athletes and to enjoy real competition on a peninsula that's divided with a demilitarized zone. And the story behind the story, if you've been watching, is what was going to happen. Was it going to be an attack from the north? So far, so good. Um, and then you had the, the opening games in the Korean sides, north and south, to come together and to walk in and to be the, the team from Korea. This is, this is amazing and it's disturbing at the same time. Uh, because as you're in the south and you're watching the games, all is well. We'll just go a couple of miles north and you have a dictator who is starving people, starving them if they don't do what he says and killing them if they don't clap long enough, and withholding from them all of the beautiful things that everyone in the South and the rest of the world enjoys. And so Christians are putting camps, and Bibles can't be found, and churches are illegal a couple of miles north of these games. And so you live in what we call the real world, where we long for peace. Some of the Olympic game goals is to peacefully bring people together. And we're wondering, Lord, will you do something in our day, you know? And then you realize that the world we're living in where there's chaos and there's confusion and there's war and there's horror and there's evil and there's beauty 
and there's amazement, and there's snow on a Sunday morning. All, all these things are happening at the same time. And in one sense, when we read the ancient letter to the church in Rome, we're actually reading the news. Because when Paul's writing, he is writing to a group of people who are in the capital city where the tyrant, the Caesar, rules with an iron fist. And Caesar is all about power, and Rome is all about conquer. There's no democracy there. There's a Senate, but Caesar rules. And so he's writing to these people, this small group of people who are living in tense times, and we're living in tense times. I mean, how much have you heard about the thought of a missile going off at any moment? And how do we... How do we make sense of the good news of Jesus in light of this world that seems to be slipping further away from his love? More than that, how do we live in our tense world personally? The tension in our own lives, the tension when you show up at the cube tomorrow to go to work, when you walk into class, when you walk into that car and you drive out of here and the tension going on, how do you, how do you, Move towards peace. Well, we're going to see that. What are you as a Jesus follower called to do in the tense times that we live in? What are you called to avoid? Well, we're, we're in a timely message series in Romans 12. And we're going to look again at verse 14. We looked at it last week, but I said we're going to come back. And then we're going to pick it up in verse 17 to the end of the chapter and look at at what it means to be a people of peace. So verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now because Paul's writing in Romans 12 all of these ideas, he's not thinking in order. So then he goes on in verses 15 and 16 talking about something else. But then he comes back to the whole bless and, and, and do not curse in verse 17. Same idea. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, a.k.a. Oh, calm down. Like, you don't kill him. Like, you're not giving him spike punch. You're not, you're not like, poisoning his food. You're, that phrase we'll look at, you're not hurting him. You're actually doing something possibly to help. And then verse 21 summarizes everything we just read so far and, and underline it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. How, do we, how are we to live out our faith in an unbelieving world? What Paul's done is everything before these verses is about Jesus lover to Jesus lover. So how do you and I, how do we humble ourselves before our brother or sister? How do we uh, submit to one another? How do we live joyfully? How do we share our goods? How do we practice hospitality? Everything before this was to Jesus loving people. Okay, you are the church now. They were in a huge city. With rich and poor and young and old and all sorts of political differences and material differences and all sorts of different perspectives on life. And he's like, to you, you love Jesus, you've embraced the good news, you're one. You are one. Now, live as God's 
one family, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, Greek, barbarian, whoever you're from, you now are in Jesus. Now live like it, and you, by living like it, will show the world that Jesus is risen. Okay, so that's what he says. But now he takes it to the logical conclusion. If we're to be a people of peace, how does that play out with those who don't love Jesus? It's one thing to love you. By the way, it's not easy. You're not that lovable <laughs> at times. We all, I mean, come on. We love Christians except you get to know them. And after a while you realize, oh, not, not, they're not so, you know, like Jesus yet. We don't want to look in the mirror and, and notice how far we are. But, we, you know, I look at you and I think like, wow, you have a lot of room to grow. We, <laughs> see, we have trouble just living out the good news, us. Now he says, real love extends to those who don't believe. Our love for Jesus has to go beyond just love for one another. It has to move. So look at the setting they are in Rome. There are no church buildings. There are no laws at this stage protecting the Christian faith. And in the world that they live in, it's pagan. Rome lives for power. Caesar is Lord. They win by conquest. It's not like elections. We beat you. And so in the city of Rome, you could still, if you go there today, the remains are still there, are the statues of the people of power. The people of importance, the people of wealth. Humility is not a virtue. Humility is left for the weak, for the no one. To call yourself humble is to call yourself poor and foolish. Now we don't get that because we live in a world that kind of values humility at times. But this is not the world that they're living in. And they are the people of God in Rome. And so he's saying to them, if you want to turn the city upside down, if you want to turn the empire down, upside down, it's going to happen in a peculiar way. How is this small group supposed to live in a world where vengeance and fighting back and hitting you harder is norm? Four commands we're going to see. They all say the same thing with different dimensions. So you could, you could just underline verse 21. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But, but let's tease out what that looks like. Four things. Write them down. Number one, real love speaks a blessing, not a curse. Real love, this is thinking about us to those who don't embrace the way of Jesus. Real love speaks a blessing. We don't, we don't tear people down with our words. Now, Paul doesn't quote here Jesus word for word, but he's exactly referencing the teaching of Jesus recorded in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll just show you a portion. You've heard it was said, says Jesus. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That, that is the, that's the word of the day. That's our heart. That's our bent. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. I expect if you kick me, I'm going to kick you back. That's natural. That's just the way life works. And especially if, if you were born on the countryside, maybe it's not as tough. But if you were born and raised in a big city, that's just the way it is. That's the way it is on the streets. I'm going to get you before you get me. All right? I'm going to win. But that mentality is a cultural value that, remember, Romans 12, 1 and 2 don't be conformed to the pattern of this age. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Instead, be transformed in the renewal of your thinking. Let God 
impact the way you think and then evaluate what the culture says and what God says and lean on God. And then you'll be able to know what God's good, pleasing, perfect will is. You'll know how to walk in the way of Jesus if you allow God to saturate your thinking. That's, so how do I think about the person that's evil? What I want to do now is I want to stop and we want to pray for Kim Jong-un who is killing people. And we're not going to pray that God takes him out. We're going to pray that God wakes him up and that he becomes a Jesus lover and starts his own Christian TV program and starts preaching the gospel. And you say, well, why would you do that? And that sounds crazy and impossible. Hello, Jesus created the universe. He could take care of one person. So, Lord, we pray for this leader. We don't know him. We don't understand. And, God, you know the heart. You know the molecules. You know everything. We pray, not a curse. But we pray that you will bless him with your presence, Lord, that you'll visit him in dreams, that you'll, you did it to Paul, you knocked him off of his horse and said it to me. Lord, we pray that he would so be in connection with you that he would have to say, see that life apart from you doesn't make sense and it's not helpful. But God, in your love and in your mercy, make him a child. Bring him in. Lord, show the world that you're alive as you encounter him with love and mercy and grace. And we pray that those who are under his rule right now, that you'll give them strength to stand until he encounters you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're, if you're upset that I prayed for him, email me. <laughs> email me. And I'll send you a link to this message. All right. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray for people. Jesus said... The person persecuting, pray for them. In other words, your words matter, and Jesus models the better way. It's easy to talk evil about people who are evil. It's easy to talk bad about people who are bad. Unfortunately, we never put ourselves in that category, but we, we do. So bless those who persecute you. Now, I have to say, to be fair, this does not mean what Jesus is saying, what the Bible is teaching, does not mean that we condone evil behavior. It doesn't mean that wrong isn't wrong, you just cover it over. No, evil will be punished. Come back next week, we're going to talk more about that. Next week is God and government. How about that for a lightning rod conversation in the day that I just, I'm itching, man. Give me seven more days and I'm ready now. God is just, God is just. And he sees evil and he will deal with evil. But what these verses are saying, and understand this, is we're not to take personal revenge. That's the point. We overcome evil with good. We don't take revenge. Real love wants even enemies, even my enemy, to experience the good news. And the good news is that no one is so far that they can't encounter God's love and go from an enemy of God to a child of God. Anyone can be saved. Everyone can be saved. And so the good news of Jesus in us remembers that we were lost and we're found. We were against God and the gospel and we were adopted. We were brought in. And it wasn't because of our goodness. It was faith in what Jesus did for us that set us free. So therefore, if it's possible for us, you say, Jose, but that was good. No, we weren't. Sometimes we point the finger and we act with revenge because we forget that we have been evil. And so none of us want it done to us, but we don't mind doing it to somebody else. And that is the heart 
of mankind. It's just not the way of Jesus. So all I'm saying is, you want to be transformed? Let Jesus' thinking get in your brain. So real love is about the power of the gospel available to anyone. That's number one. I spent a bunch of time on it because the others are kind of repeat with nuances. All right? So with our words, we speak love. Real love, number two, write it down. Real love does what's right, not repaying evil. So all of these are four commands with a positive and a negative. Do this, don't do that. They're not suggestions. These are written to believers about those who don't believe. We are not to speak evil, we're not to curse, we're to bless. Now we're to do what's right and we're not to repay. Verse 17, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. We're to show love with our actions. First with our words, then with our actions. So in other words, you can't, you can't play the game of, Lord, Lord, you know, help them, help them, help them. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to, you know, I know you're a God of justice, and so I'm going to give them something from you. That's, that's what we want to do. And, and the answer is no. Now let me be clear. In Romans 13, we're going to see in the next, over the next two weeks, that there is a rightful place. God has shown a way of, of dealing with evil, and he's going to use all sorts of people, some who love him, some who don't, and we're going to make room for that, but we're not to take revenge. So we're not to speak revenge, we're not to act revenge, but we do call evil, evil, and we look for justice. So this doesn't mean if we see someone committing something that's horrible, doesn't mean we just say, oh, Jesus, love them, bless them. No, we call the cops. You see a crime, you call the police. You don't take the revenge. That's not your place. We call the proper authorities. And if you're on a, a jury and there are, are facts that are given and the facts show guilt, you give the punishment that goes with the crime. And that those aren't contradictions. Real love doesn't show personal vengeance. Real love trusts that God is going to deal fairly with everyone and he's used a means of taking care of justice in part. In other words, there is some justice that needs to happen now and there's some people who need to go to prison and there's some people who need to pay money back and that is fair and right and good, but that's not the ultimate justice. You see, when we read the whole Bible, we see that there is a day, the day of the Lord is coming. The prophets called it the day of the Lord or the day of Yahweh. It's the day that Jesus said he's going to return. He says, I'm going, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you, and now I'm going to be with you. And Paul says it like a thief in the night. He's going to come, and, and it's going to be a moment where the whole world is going to give an account. God's going to make everything brand new, and he's going to remove evil, and the world will be as he created it to be. And he's already destroyed death. In, in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, death has been destroyed. And now we're going to see the fullness of what God wanted from the beginning. And you and I are going to be with him. And then there's this thing called the judgment seat of Christ where you and I are going to give an account for everything we've ever thought or done. How about that one? So when we think about justice, what we're thinking about is short term, right? What about me now? And Paul, because he's thinking about the scriptures, about the revelation of God, he's like, there's more than now. Oh, God is the just judge. God will give what is right. So who are you trusting? And when it comes to the evil or the persecution or the trouble or just the annoying person that you're wrestling with right now, 
Who's going to be the better person to do what is right? God or you? And, and what we want is a hybrid. God through me. You just don't get that option. You don't get it. Do not do vengeful things. Don't speak evil. Bless. Don't do evil. Do good. And which means, so, so this is ethereal because, you know, most of us aren't in positions of power to make radical changes. You're not the mayor. You're not the governor. You're not the president. You're not a senator. You're someone special in your mom's sight. But, you know, like, but, but that, you are special to Jesus and you're special to this community. But we're not, most of us aren't in positions of power, but we are. It means we don't, we don't take revenge in ways that we can. So I'm going to give a very obvious example when you look at your social media channels, those of you who enjoy that, when you look at what's on there right now, and I encourage you, go home, brew a cup of coffee or have lunch, and just look at your feed. What is it feeding? Are you speaking blessing? Now, you could put anything on there, and I love it. I've had some people email me about, you know, your comments about social media. We have freedom, and why are you trying to restrict freedom? I'm trying to restrict poison. Because what you can do is say you love Jesus, follow Jesus, you're a Jesus person, and then you look at what's posted, and you know what? A lot of it, what it is, is vengeful. It's revenge. Now, please, puppies, more photos. I'll take every one. Uh, birth of a child. Look, you went to a new restaurant. Plate, awesome, stellar. Give me the juicy details. I'm a foodie. I want all of it. All of these, good. Um, high day, low day, experiences, the coast, you know, the mountains. Do all of it. Flower, wax eloquent. This is all, it's the fun of it. I actually get to know you when we're not here on Sunday. I'm looking. You don't think I am. But other people are looking. My daughter's looking. And it's very upsetting when you see people you love in this church, I'm not talking about anyone else, in this church posting toxic statements about the president. I'll just stop there. What right do we, the people of God, have to tear down someone, frankly, you have never met, whether you voted for him or not. He is in authority in this country, and to revenge is not the way of peace, and it's not the heart of God. So I'm entitled to an opinion, but hear me, your words matter and your actions matter, so what I say and I do all needs to be filtered through the love of God in Jesus. And if I find that I can have that opinion, this is, this is crazy, I can have it, it could be right, and I could withhold sharing it in a public forum. I could actually talk about it with human beings in person, have a dialogue, learn, grow. Or I could just spit out all the stuff seeing <laughs> how many hits can I get back and how much tension can I cause. And this is called the American dream. Because we have rights. You don't have any more rights. You have the right to follow Jesus. You are commanded to love your enemy. You are commanded to not do evil for evil. And so if that's tough, tough. This is the way of Jesus. You signed up for it. All right.
On that happy note, let's keep reading. Real love, number three. <laughs> Real love works for peace, not revenge. Real love works for peace and not revenge. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, believer, non-believer. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. Whoa, pause. God's love, right? Yes. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's just, God's wrath. They're not contradictions. God is greater. And so he is all of these things. And together, he's worthy of our worship. Which means, this is good, because he's, he's peace, but he's also wrath. So God stops evil, which is good news. Man, how would you love it? If the police force just saw you getting mugged and said, wow, you shouldn't have gone down that alley. What if they actually got out and stopped the human being and saved you and your stuff? Would that be loving? Yeah, it would actually be loving. And so in the same way, God steps in and he stops people. Now, he doesn't do it in our timing, which is annoying. It's very frustrating. He doesn't do it in our timing. And by the way, he doesn't ask your opinion. He doesn't need it. He told Job, shut up. Where were you, buddy, when I made it all? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? I don't know. I wasn't there. My point exactly. I'm the creator. You're the creation. So you could come to me with anything. Pour out your heart to God. But don't tell him what to do. Because he's so loving, he's patient. Think of it this way. We want leaders to be gone, right? Think of Paul who wrote this letter. What if the church took him out early on? It was Paul that God uses to write most of the New Testament letters and most of our thinking about the way of Jesus. But he was a murderer. And he was imprisoning and beating up and assenting to the killing of Christians, Christians. And God says, I got a plan for you, Paul. I'm going to clean you up. I'm alive. Follow me. Yes, sir. I got a mission for you. Tell the people you hate, I love them. Paul is the apostle to the who? Gentiles. He's a Jew. He can't stand Gentiles. He can't stand them because of the way they live. And, and God in his love and justice says, you're going to spend the rest of your life hanging out with the people you hated. But guess what? I love them and you've experienced my love. And so Paul is willing to lay down his life literally for these people he used to hate. What I'm saying is Jesus can change anybody. So who are you and me to take revenge when God is a God of peace? Real love works for peace, not revenge. So what does Paul do? He takes them to Israel's story. You need to catch this. He quotes twice in these verses. One from Deuteronomy 32. We won't go into it. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. Here's what you'll see. God says to Israel, this is written to God's people, you have failed and I'm just. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you. <laughs> he doesn't speak to others first. First he speaks to his own people and says, you haven't been right. But I'm going to come and I'm going to restore you. See, you love me, you come to me but I'm going to deal justly with you. Then he says, oh, by the way, there are these other nations that have been trying to kill you literally. They were literally trying to kill them because of their political view and their 
religious for you. They believed in Yahweh as the one creator. And so there were evil people coming against them. And this is the quote that he quotes. God says about those that are trying to kill you, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In other words, God is the judge of the nations. And God says to his own people, I'm going to deal lovingly with you, and I'm going to stop them. So you don't avenge, I will. And that's why we work for peace. He takes what God did. Paul just reads the Bible, says this is what God has always done. And in light of Jesus, who said, bless those who curse you, right? If someone wants to take something, if they want to take your outer coat, give them your sweater. If they want to take your sweater, give them your shirt. To paraphrase. If they, they slap you on one cheek, what do you do? Kick him in the shins. No. What do you do? You turn the other, you don't, you don't avenge. Which sounds weak, and it's anything but weak. It is confidence in the faithfulness of God that says you can slap all you want, but God's love has changed me. And I'm going to trust that God will deal with you with mercy and love and care. And by the way, if you follow Jesus, you wouldn't be acting this way. Now that is easier to say and it's harder to do. But this is about personal revenge. I'm going to say it again because we need to get this. All of this is about you and me as we encounter persecution, trial, evil, terrible behavior. You and I are not to enact revenge. On the contrary, look at what he says. On the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Could you imagine this person doing, you know, hey, I know you took my coat. Do you want a sandwich to go? I mean, this just doesn't make any sense. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, then you will heap, quote, burning coals on his head. This is a quote from Proverbs 25. And if we were in their culture, we would get it. Because this, is, this sounds crazy. What it's saying is you will put them in a position where they may feel shame. They may be ashamed. Someone's taking your coat and you offer them a sandwich. They may think, well, gosh, that sounds, why am I taking your stuff? That, why would you treat me that way? In us responding to evil with good, the hope, here's the hope, doesn't always happen. The hope is that in seeing a Jesus-like response, just like when Jesus changed us, they'll be convicted and turn. The hope is that in living like Jesus, they'll fall in love with him too and follow him. And this is why our behavior matters. We want them to be in a position where they're ashamed of it and get the same love that we receive. By the way, we always have to remember when dealing with people who've done evil towards us that we're not innocent. Now, because we've been hurt, we feel like we have the right to act. And again, I'm saying... Even if it's in within your legal means, doesn't mean you need to exercise it. Which is why he's going to tell the church in Corinth, why are you taking each other to court? Well, I have a right to. He's like, do you realize how foolish that is? You love Jesus, you love Jesus. You go before the court and say, we love Jesus, but I want my stuff. It's not about your stuff. It's about Jesus. So why don't you just go to someone in the church who's got a brain this is definitely a New Living Translation. But, but, but get, get, get someone with a brain in the church to figure it out because justice does matter. And if you stole, you should give back. But can't you just do this like in church? Because on display, you're making Jesus seem weak. 
Like, like following him doesn't make a difference. So how I respond, how I speak, how I act, how I behave actually does matter. Finally, the fourth thing, which is really what all of these have been about. So, so really, if you didn't write anything down yet, write this one down. Real love overcomes evil with good. Verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, why should we live this way? A couple of questions to help sort this out. Has God treated you the way you deserve? If, if God has treated you the way you deserve, frankly, you and I wouldn't be here. Instead, God has been more gracious than we deserve. And because of, has God and Jesus forgiven you of your sin? Has he actually forgiven you and given you a chance to live in a new way? The answer is yes. So if God's given you forgiveness, you grace, you mercy, you a new start, you get his favor instead of what we deserve, why don't they? Well, you don't know what they've done. I don't. But this is where either God's going to judge or us. And when I stand in the place of God, number one, I may mess it up. Probably will. Secondly, in my response to them, and I claim to follow Jesus, I could be turning them off from the grace of God. God may want to use this terrible situation to do something beautiful in their life if I would just respond like Jesus. So when in doubt, if you're wrestling with an issue on getting back, please consider the words of Jesus on the cross. I could give you 80 quotes from Jesus. I'll just give you one. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As he is bleeding naked, his mother watching, people laughing at him. Now, I don't know how much power you have, how much influence. So I have the power to fire people. I do. Now, hopefully I use it responsibly. Okay, Jesus is the creator. And these humans are killing him. And he with all power withholds a curse. He says, Father, forgive them. Now, by the way, they knew what they were doing. They're professional military people. What he means is they don't understand the nature of what's going on. What they don't know is the very person they're murdering is giving himself up because no one took his life. He laid it down as a ransom for many. And he's giving it up for them to be rescued. Talk about a plot twist. The very people murdering Jesus, he is laying down his life out of love. So he can say to his father, I could call down 10,000 angels and wipe all you out. Forgive them. They don't know my purposes. Which is why when I take revenge, I may be missing on the plan of God. And so... Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, this, this happens in the real world. And so I'll just give you one illustration in our own life that may help. Growing up, we lived in an apartment, four kids, and my parents, uh, in an apartment in Brooklyn. My parents were able to scrap some money, got a house. Small little thing. We didn't have anything. But within a couple of years, our house was broken in two. Not once. Over the next few years, seven times. And uh, first one, like they broke the front door, smashed the back sliding door. We had nothing of value. All six things of value were gone. We had nothing. 
But then stuff started just missing. A bunch of things, one day they're not there. But no sign of fourth century. So this happened multiple, multiple times. So our next door neighbors, we went to church with them. And one day the mom of the son next door went to put away clothes and saw my mother's necklace in her son's drawer. So he wasn't involved in all of the occasions, but some of them he was tipping people off that no one was there, and other times he was involved. And he was involved with the wrong crowd and alcohol and drugs and all that. And so what do you do? They have every right to, to get him in jail. Every right to prosecute. Every right to go to the parents and get everything back. And, and there's a big difference between having rights and doing what's right. And so the difference here is my parents, I thank God for their example, and I won't get into the details. I'm not saying that you should always do this, but in, in, in this case, out of love for their brothers and sisters in Jesus, the parents, and with a hope of burning heaps of coal, shaming the son in a good sense to say, like, we love you. They did not do what they could have done. Right? And so, yes, we do prosecute and yes, we do convict of crimes. But in this particular case, they chose to speak a blessing and do a blessing and, and overcome evil with good. Because of love, they forgave and did not hold it and said, I know my parents would pray for him with a greater intensity. Now, I'd like to say he turned his life around and follows the way of Jesus, now he's preaching down the street and everything's awesome. To my recollection, he's never repented. To my recollection, his life has gone from bad to worse, I, although I've lost the trail a long time ago. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We overcome evil with good. Now, friends, that's not weakness. The culture says that's weak. But in the big picture, this kid is created in the image of God, belongs to God, and they really just want to see him fall in love with Jesus. So we factor all those things, and when in doubt, we act in love instead of revenge. And we trust that God's going to do what's right. So, so how do we live this out? Following Jesus is not about changing behavior, because you may get the wrong notion. Say, Jose, so what you're saying is I just, just let people slap me around and take stuff, and who cares? No, no, no. It's deeper. What we're asking God to do is renew our heart. Renew our heart. Change our heart from within. That's where the real change happens. And so, my friends, some of us have been so hurt. This is just even tough to swallow. I'll pause, but I have insight just from experience. So I'll let you in. Some of us are going just through brokenness. And it happened when you were a teenager. It happened when you were a kid. It happened last week. And those wounds just come up with a message like this and say, Hosea, that sounds good, but you don't know what was done to me, and I don't. And there, it is right to grieve. We weep with those who are weeping. And so I'm not here to make light of what's happened to you. Frankly, for some, the person needs to be caught and prosecuted, and that's the right, that's the right thing to do, right? Yet at the same, at the same time, God wants to renew our heart, and that means 
that I can respond in a way that doesn't match with what's happened to me, right? So that's what we're praying for God to do in us, that he would so set us free that even though I lament that, I call that evil, I call that wrong, and I do, that's what I call it. And I pray that God in his justice would care for that because this is wrong. I can at the same time overcome the evil from infecting me and driving my behavior and driving my thought life and driving my prayer life. I can ask God the Holy Spirit to come and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm a mess. A tip, if you're feeling this way, everyone in your row is feeling this way. Everyone. It's the secret to leadership in a church. There aren't some broken and some whole. There's just a scale of brokenness that we're all pleading to Jesus to heal us. So your, yours may not be at the point of despair and hopelessness, but we're all in this together and we all need the grace of Jesus. And so this, these commands are helpful because they keep us from acting out of our brokenness. And the broken part of me hits back. The broken part of me lashes back, yells back. But I'm also a child of God. And so I can call on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to live like Jesus. All right, two questions to drive our thinking because now we have to do something with this. And I'm praying that God, as we worship, as we sing things that are true, trust me, these lyrics are life-changing because they're in line with everything we've just said. That as we begin to sing these out, they're true, so we proclaim them to God. As we do that, God the Holy Spirit would give us the power to have the tougher part of this message. Some of us need to go and, and, and connect. Now, in trying to be a person of peace, I will not always reconcile with everybody. There are people who've, they've already died. I can't, I can't connect with them. They moved away. I don't know where they are. They won't respond to me. I, I, I can't stop that. Um, they're continuing this evil thing and, and there's nothing to stop them. So yeah, it takes two people to reconcile. I am not saying it's your responsibility to reconcile with everyone because some people won't. That's why that phrase, as long as it's possible with you, as long as it's by doing good, we're going to heap burning coals on his head, if it's at all possible with you, as long as it depends on you, if, 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 if you can, then take that step. If you can't, here's what we do. We rest in the grace of God. They already died. How do I make an accounting for that? I can't. I'm trusting the grace of God. God's going to do what's right by me and by them. And so we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to stir us. Two questions. How are you treating the people you're in conflict with right now? How are you treating them? Friend, you can treat them like Jesus would. You can actually treat them like Jesus would, and the Spirit can give you the power to do it. Second one, are you choosing the path of peace, or are you throwing fuel on the fire? And this is where we as Jesus lovers get in trouble. We throw fuel on the fire. And, and, and we forget that God is a God of peace. If any of this is convicting, join the club. We were worshiping at the end of last gathering, 
I was like, and the Lord just brought some people to my mind like, oh, snap, I actually have to do this. I have to do this. So we're all in that spot. We're all in this together, right? Why don't you stand up? We're going to invite Jesus to be Jesus to us and to move us to action. Lord, I thank you that your mercy is new every morning. Your faithfulness is here. And God, thank you for getting us through. Thank you for empowering us to keep walking when we feel broken. Thank you for giving us the strength to make it through another day. And Lord, now we invite you to do the deep work in our mind and heart so that we can respond like you, Jesus. We confess, apart from your presence, we can't do it. But with you, we do say we can do all things through you who strengthens us. So now, Holy Spirit, fill us with yourself again so that we can do the hard stuff and love people in your name. We pray. Amen. Let's worship, respond, singing, and go to the table.